from my home studio. Welcome to Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations. This is the time where we need American Jewish community more than ever before. It's a life and death uh, moment for this country. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and today I'm speaking with legal scholars and activists, Gila Stopler and Yofi Tirosh. We're talking about Gila's Evolve essay, The Israeli Government's War on Women. This is an intense conversation. There's, there's a lot of provocative statements made, and it's one that I found alarming because it, it, it paints the picture of an Israel that seems like it's dramatically changed overnight, although um, many of these trends have, have been, have been in, in the works for a long time. We'll get to the details, but generally, it's been widely reported. You, um, if you're listening, you probably know Israel has a new coalition government led by once again Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his Likud party. And that party has been joined by several ultra-Orthodox parties, as well as the far-right Otzma Yehudit party. Today's conversation is about the potential or likely ramifications for Israeli girls and women, as well as the LGBTQ individuals um, uh, what these policies could mean. Um, Yofi and Gila make compelling arguments why Jews or anyone with a connection to Israel, anyone who cares about democracy or human rights, or maybe anyone with a daughter or a child who's not a cisgendered male should should really care, be paying attention, and 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 maybe take some action. Since this is a rapidly developing situation, just wanted to, to let you know where I'm recording this intro January 24th, recorded the interview the day before January 23rd, and um, we'll put in some helpful links in the show notes on our Fireside page, evolve.fireside.fm to, to bridge any, any gaps there might be. Now, reminder, before we start this interview, all of the essays discussed on the show are available to read for free on the Evolve website, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. The essays aren't required reading for the show, but we recommend checking them out. Now, let's introduce our guest joining us from Israel. Gila Stopler is Dean of the Law School at the College of Law and Business in Ramat Gan, Israel. She serves as the editor-in-chief of the journal Law and Ethics of Human Rights, Stopler's areas of expertise include constitutional law, comparative constitutional law, religion-state relations, multiculturalism, women's rights, human rights, and democratic erosion. Yofi Tirosh is vice dean and an associate professor at the Tel Aviv University Faculty of Law and the former dean of the Sapir Academic College School of Law in Israel's Negev region. Her research on anti-discrimination law, feminist jurisprudence, and law and culture has been published in leading international and Israeli journals. Tirosh is a prominent civil rights activist working with policymakers and civil society organizations, and she was listed as one of Israel's 100 most influential people by The Marker, 
Haaretz's Financial Magazine, and that was back in 2020. Her current research focus is on sex segregation in Israel. Gila Stopler, Yofi Tirosh, um, thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Ah, so there's so much um, in 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 the news. It's uh, over here, I'm sure, in, in Israel every day about uh, about the new coalition. Um, we're, we're hearing a, a lot of headlines about um, what it could mean for the judiciary, what it could mean for LGBTQ citizens of Israel, um, what it could mean for Palestinians. We haven't heard as much about what 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 these new policies could mean for women, which which uh, I'm sure the statistics show is slightly more than half the population of Israel. So so um, Gila, can, can you give us a sense of what your top concerns about the policies of the new government um, are and, and what they could mean for Israel's women? Sure. So, so um, I think that uh, first, you know, it, it's important to say to acknowledge that um, women's equality in Israel has always been only partial. So there are areas in which religious interests overtake women's equality, such as uh, you know the area of personal laws, marriage and divorce. Uh, but we have been, uh, you know, after a, 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 lo- a long feminist struggle. Uh, we have been able to get to a point in which most of uh, the people acknowledge that women's equality should take precedence over religious interests. But for the last, I think, uh, 20 years, there's been uh, a struggle uh, which was uh, mainly over the issue of uh, the segregation of women and the exclusion of women from uh, uh, the public sphere. Uh, And this struggle has been uh, going on with relative uh, relative success. Uh, Yofi can uh, uh, tell us more about it, with relative success uh, for women's equality, uh, although not complete one. And now we're really concerned that with the new government, this relative success is going to be completely erased. Yeah, so, so gen- generally, uh, the this coalition is formed by four parties, three of which are, by definition, either ultra-Orthodox or religious. And one, the biggest one, the Likud party, is neither, but uh, its head of uh, party, Prime Minister Netanyahu, is willing to sell uh, Israel and his own uh, perceptions of what it means to be a democracy with the rule of law in order to save himself from trial. The three parties during the coalition agreements have managed to demand and have their demands accepted, I think, to their own surprise. There is a point in which we felt they don't know what to ask for anymore because they're like children in a candy store and they kind of took all the candies from the shelf already. So uh, one of the issues in which both Professor Stoppler and I are, are very concerned is the demand to legalize sex-segregated public activities, which means uh, that it would be okay basically without any limits to hold public concerts, professional training, academic studies in segregation where men and women either sit separately or it's a single sex event. 
It could also mean uh, having separate hours in stores, having modesty requirements, uh, which really means introducing in the name of uh, multiculturalism and cultural tolerance, values and practices that are foreign to most public in Israel. Uh, even many of the ultra-Orthodox and the religious men and women uh, while they practice those uh, segregations in their synagogues and in uh, weddings, for example, are kind of held captive by their leaders who draw them into practices of self-segregation, of sex segregation, sorry, also outside of uh, the community. Israelis are kind of um, careful or even irritated when on the one hand we present ourselves and per perceive ourselves as the you know the only democracy in the Middle East, I'm sure your listeners have heard this phrase many times. Of course, of course. Uh, but uh, then when we when we posit questions like, "Hey, you know, this looks very much like Saudi Arabia or like Iran or like Afghanistan," people are very annoyed. But after being annoyed by you know you this version of you can't compare. Uh, they don't really have uh, good answers except uh, the false belief that these practices will remain in Mashiarim and in Bnei Brak and in other uh, uh, homogenous ultra-Orthodox areas. But from experience, both Gina, Gila and I know that this is not the case and they become kind of uh, um, normalizing the entire uh, Israeli public sphere. De facto, we've seen I mean, certain public buses have been have been segregated for a growing number in the last two decades, yes. right? I mean, it's been happening not not exactly legally, is from what I understand, or 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 the legal. Yeah. The pretext, just like with other issues, is that it's a matter of uh, consent. As long as the sex segregation is not coerced, at least officially, then it's not illegal because it's kind of a way to accommodate the preferences of religious women. Of course, life behaves differently than uh, this uh, kind of hypothetical clean uh, rule. And uh, uh, sitting in the back for women is coerced by the community. Today, there are even expansions such as they're waiting in the bus stations uh, in segregation. There are violence uh, um, um, incidents where women are uh, either forced to sit in the back and even secular young girls or, or women are uh, banned from boarding buses if they wear a sleeveless shirt, for example, because they're not modest enough for the taste of the driver who kind of represents the interest of the uh, passengers that he uh, drives, or at least that's how we I the you know the drivers feel if i can if i can just add uh so all these these incidents have been happening before so the, you know the question is we have a problem with segregation uh uh in the last 20 years the the difference now is the uh that if in the past the government and the uh, court believed that women's equality should at least uh most of the time prevail and it was possible for uh, women's rights groups to fight in legal uh, ways to prevent segregation, to go to the court and win cases against segregation. 
what the uh, new government is doing, what they have uh, promised is that it will no longer be illegal to segregate wherever there are people whose religious belief makes them want to have uh, this segregation. Now, the question is, who wants this segregation and who doesn't want it? It will be okay to uh, prevent people from being able to go inside a store because it may offend the religious beliefs of the owner or of other customers um, or of workers or whatever. So uh, basically, we're kind of, for the first time, we're going to uh, a kind of uh, regime in the public space, you know, which which you were in the United States accustomed to in the days of uh, uh, racial segregation. Uh, uh, and we know the- from our experience, separate separate does not mean equal. Separate means inherently unequal. Yeah, and and and, and moreover, it's not only going to be in uh, in let's say religious towns. Not that there is such people who know Israel know how small it is and how uh, each st- street can be. For example, the street of where Milo School is. One side of the sidewalk is Ramat Gan. The other side of the sidewalk is Bnei Brak. Bnei Brak is an ultra-Orthodox city. Ramat Gan is a completely secular city. So just say there's no real separation between the ultra-Orthodox population and the, the secular population. And, and moreover, the whole idea of even initiating this uh, segregation and exclusion is in order to, so the, the official uh, uh, theory is in order to enable the integration of the ultra-Orthodox population in the Israeli economy, in the Israeli uh, uh, market. So if you want to allow, if you want to, uh, you know, to enable integration, then that means you want to have this exclusion of women in the heart of your uh, economic uh, activity. And this is exactly what they want to do. So we're going to start seeing, uh, you know, uh, uh, ads, uh, wanted ads, uh, only for men, because in certain uh, offices, you they want to give service to religious men who do not want to be uh, provided whatever service by women. Uh, so these are uh, things that are going to affect all of us, and they actually reverse. If equality uh, is and has been the rule in Israel, as in other uh, liberal democracies until now, this is going to be the opposite because just by allowing this, uh, you know, this very vague uh, religious belief as an excuse for discrimination means that equality is no longer the rule. The rule is uh, discrimination. What I like to call the free exercise of discrimination. Since you're both legal scholars, can you tell us a little bit about what the this judicial override push, ha- you know, is what it has to do with this, and and you know, is is the whole problem that Israel doesn't have a constitution? I mean, that's on 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 one foot, right? So so. Basically, uh, for example, uh, in the area of the exclusion of women, uh, we mentioned the the, uh, segregation in buses in which women were sent to the back and men uh, sat in the front. And it was supposed to be voluntary, but in effect, it was was not voluntary at all because passengers, uh, male passengers, enforced that, you know, uh, even violently. 
drivers enforced that even violently. And the court, the, the, there was a petition to the Supreme Court. That petition to the Supreme Court led to a decision by the Supreme Court that this uh, practice was banned because it, it violated equality, it violated basic law, human dignity, and uh, liberty, um, which protects human dignity and protects equality. Now, this, for example, this type of judicial decision is a problem for the new coalition. Uh, this is just one example. There are many examples of, of uh, you know, of decisions that protect uh, human rights that are a problem for the new coalition. So then the question is, what is the solution? Uh, and the solution that they've found and they've already uh, declared is to um, insert an override clause in a basic law, which would basically allow the Knesset to override any decision by the Supreme Court that a law is invalid because it goes against the basic law of human dignity and liberty and the rights protected in it. So basically, the court says this is discriminatory and therefore it's banned. And then the Knesset says, well, with a um, majority of 61, which is a majority that any coalition has, the current coalition has a majority of 64 members out of 120, they can just say, well, we don't care that the court say, uh, thinks that this is unconstitutional. We are overriding uh, the court decision and we are allowing uh, this discrimination, this segregation, this exclusion or whatever uh, to continue. Uh, moreover, uh, it has been leaked that uh, the, uh, you know, the current changes that uh, the Minister of, uh, uh, of Justice, Yariv Levin, has talked about are only the first stage. In the second stage, they're going to uh, annul basic law, human dignity and liberty, simply change it into a regular law, which means that the, basically human rights in Israel will no longer be uh, constitutional. They will not have constitutional value. We will not have a bill of rights, which is basically what the basic law, human dignity and liberty has been for us uh, in the past uh, 30 years, and uh, the government will be free to uh, violate whatever rights it uh, wants to violate, because the government is in full control over the coalition, which is in full control over parliament. So all the power is concentrated in the executive. So, so basically what Gila is describing uh, is no protection, no judicial protection from you, for human rights, including women's rights, including equality, who has is quickly becoming a provocative trigger word for many facets of the coalition, and a parliament that is not interested in uh, women's issues. One of the most vocal uh, Likud female party members, and there are not many of them, we have a coalition of 15% women only. So a lawyer in the coalition, her kind of uh, flag issue is uh, women's alleged false complaints about uh, sexual offenses. Um, we have other women who um, care about uh, introducing all kinds of government initiatives with a lot of money to encourage family values, quote unquote. We have uh, in the coalition Knesset members who just in the last term 
uh, we thought we've kind of uh, withheld, but now we know pretty much they, they managed to sabotage because they're now in power. Uh, very important basic initiatives, such as the adoption of what's called the Istanbul Convention, which is meant to provide states uh, tools to combat uh, sexual violence and domestic violence. Another legal proposal uh, suggested legislation on uh, what's called financial violence, where uh, one partner withholds uh, any control over monetary affairs in the family. Uh, so they sat there and said, oh, this is going to ruin the structure of the traditional family and undermine the authority of the man as the head of the family. When they said that a year ago, we were shocked, but we never fathomed that this will become governing policy of the Israeli government. We really feel uh, Gila, me and many, many other citizens, lawyers, uh, legal scholars, we feel a sense of disbelief, of dystopia that is kind of landing on us uh, in an unimaginable speed. Every headline uh, that, that we read is kind of more unbelievable than the previous one. So, so the threats on women are on those issues, on, on, on kind of the, the, the loss of balance between the three uh, branches of government, but they're also bottom-up. I would say. So if we have a minister of police, Itamar Ben-Gvir, who is both uh, racist and sexist, we pretty much anticipate or, and are very worried that in his spirit, the police officer in the police station will be hostile to women coming to complain on domestic violence. You know, they'll send them home just like in the 60s, you know, go and make peace with your husband. They won't even investigate in due seriousness uh, uh, complaints of, uh, of rape or uh, sexual harassment. So it's kind of both from, from the top and from the bottom that the atmosphere quickly changes to be kind of an atmosphere of, of animosity towards the idea of sex equality and towards uh, uh, women. Can you say anything about and the importance of, of, of representation in, in government. I mean, I mean, you have mentioned that that um, the number of women in, in serving in this coalition has dropped dramatically from from the previous coalition. The the Israel's ranking globally in, in terms of women in government really just 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 kind of nosedived overnight. And and just I'm a little bit young, but certainly you know my parents' generation. You know when you know maybe when it when it thought of Israel, it thought of gold in my ear, and there was this pride in, in having this this strong female leader who who had grown up partially in the States. And I I, I know she's she's not the reputation in Israel itself isn't quite as high. But I mean obviously today it just 50 years later it it seems harder to believe, imagine Israel electing a, a a female prime minister like that. But I just in terms of in terms of the where policy is going, can you talk about the importance of just having women in government? So I'm not that young. Uh, I'm 52. And this is the Israel I was uh, born into, the ethos of uh, Israel as an egalitarian state. I was also kind of raised on Golda Meir and on stories of pioneers and uh, women uh, fighters and educators. And it's it's kind of a 
dialectic uh, uh, picture where you have on the one hand a country where there are three chief justices or presidents of Israel's Supreme Court, which are women, which you can't say in the U.S. and in many other countries, and women in the top of the money market, in, in Nobel laureates, etc., etc., uh, but on the other hand, you have this uh, incredible uh, regression that, that we see now. Uh, so why does it matter? First of all, it matters because for, for women in Israel and for men in Israel, when you look up and you don't see women in the leadership, it trickles down to what uh, girls dream of and what they can be and who they should aspire to be. That's on the level of, of representation. But then from experience, we know that unfortunately, uh, all uh, legislative initiatives that had to do with women's issues were advanced by women. That's just the way it is. We may have had, uh, and we did have men allies, but the advanced laws, and we do have very progressive laws on the books on anti-discrimination and on equal wage and on sexual harassment and on affirmative action for women. The laws are, are cool. But when this government enters into full force on also like day-to-day -day issues, not only will it, will it not continue to develop the, the elaborate uh, uh, legislation on gender equality, but it will uh, turn it upside down and change much of it uh, against women. And we will simply not have the women in the Knesset to lobby with or to, to you know, to, to talk to, to say, hey, you need to stop that. There'll be nobody to talk about um, legislation about women's health and about uh, welfare. Um, this government is going to be very neoliberal. Uh, very free market oriented, so removing a, a lot of the uh, social kind of safety nets that Israel traditionally uh, still has, although they have been very much eroded in, in the past decades. So everywhere we look, we see that the fact that women are not there, there in uh, shaping policies is going to harm not just our equality, but our safety, our chances for prosperity, for autonomy. Etc. If I can, uh, if I can also add something, uh, I think I, I want to. So we have to uh, remember that uh, in this uh, coalition government, we have out of the sixty-four mandates, we have thirty-two mandates of religious, uh, extremely religious parties. Uh, two of them have no women uh, um, parliament members, and uh, uh, they intentionally do not have any uh, uh, women parliament members. Actually there was a petition to the Supreme Court against the fact that they are do not have uh, uh, women parliament members. And that petition ended with them saying, uh, yes, well, we'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, strike down the provision which says that a member of the party has to be male. Uh, so they struck down the, uh, the provision, but effectively they still don't uh, um, receive or accept any women members and they do not have any women parliament members. Now, when patriarchal religion is such a, a massive part of the government, both physically and in terms of the concept of what the government and what the state uh, should look like, then obviously uh, women find themselves, uh, you know, out of the picture. And those few women who are in uh, the government and in parliament 
are women who st- who have these uh, patriarchal views and who only help the you know the patriarchal regime and moreover you see you know when you look at the men and you look at the women you look at the leaders of this coalition who are all men and then you look at the state institutions that are now uh, standing against the this coalition which is the Supreme Court which is headed by the a woman and which is the Attorney General who is also a woman you see you know symbolically what you see is they are the ones who Uh, we look up to and want to have uh, uh, protect us uh, and, and and they can do that because they're public servants and they cannot lead the liberal camp but they are the ones who I mean they can, they protect the uh, you know the liberal the the liberal structure of the state the liberal institutions of the state uh, and I think it's it's both very symbolic but it's far more than symbolic so it's not just the Uh, that they are women and uh, people on the patriarchal side are men but it's it also shows uh, the difference between community which is ruled only by men for men and uh, with the interests of men uh, in mind as opposed to a community which is uh, led by the interests of uh, uh, equality uh, gender equality and uh, uh, and progress okay so Well, we have a couple seconds of your time. Please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to support these groundbreaking conversations of Evolve on the podcast, the websites, and our web conversations, there's a donate link in our show notes. Every gift matters. Thanks for listening and thank you for your support. Okay, back to our interview with Gila Stopler and Yofi Tirosh. So we have seen pretty large demonstrations against some of these policies against the the override law what kind of impact is that is that having so far uh, perhaps this is a good moment to mention uh, that uh, the attacks on progressive values apply not just to women they apply to the uh, equality of LGBT of course. And uh, they are very um, uh, active in the in the protests and very visible. Uh, we're not we're both not kind of political uh, commentators and analysts, uh, but I think Gila will agree with me that on the one hand, uh, those big protests that are growing week by week and thankfully so far has not es- escalated to brutal uh, uh, kind of a police response and they're, they're pretty civil. We're very uh, uplifted by them and we feel that uh, a lot of the Israeli public, not just the kind of traditional left, but also people on the right more and more and on the religious right are getting out there and voicing their uh, objection to the initiatives. We're not sure that this alone will uh, do the trick. We also see a lot of other initiatives in the past few weeks. Uh, there are uh, student strikes. Uh, tomorrow, I think there is a, a high-tech a kind of um, a symbolic strike and, and high-tech is what Netanyahu prides you know, himself about Israel as the startup nation. And this is a major uh, source of investments in Israel and of, of uh, GDP, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, 
we don't know what will do the trick. There are, you know, there are protests all over uh, the place. Just today, there is a, a statement by uh, the presidents of the universities in Israel. Uh, every day, there is another sector that uh, uh, protests. The, the, the sense is that we might uh, find ourselves in um, more kind of uh, cutting edge moments where we will need to think whether uh, the red, red lines are so severe that we'll, we'll need to consider uh, civil disobedience. I, I, I don't know if we're there yet, but, uh, but it's definitely things that are uh, discussed. And I also have to say as, as, a, as um, a legal scholar and an activist, and, and Gila feels the same, that uh, we and our friends, our life has not been the same in the past uh two and a half months since the elections. we I was just in New York for a few days and I woke up in the morning in New York Times and I found more than 300 messages, WhatsApp messages every day in my activist groups. Even that, just to, to illustrate the volume of uh, activity, and this is before email and before keeping up with the news and with videos that are unbelievable from the Knesset committees, the rules of the game, the 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 kind of uh, minimal, you know, civilized, decorous discourse. Israel is informal. Informal. We know that we're not that uh, polite, but still, what we see now coming out of the Knesset is beyond belief. In in the sense that it's breaking any minimal rules of respect of civility or of, of even uh, uh, remaining faithful to how you legislate, which is put a text on the table of the legislation. There's Knesset discussions without a text that, you know, that uh, discusses what exactly we, we mean by this legislation. Uh, so these things uh, really kind of make, make me feel that I don't recognize the red line of the other side. I hope that there'll be a, a moment where Netanyahu and his partner stop and, and feel that it's time to uh, slow down and start a, a dialogue and reach some sort of uh, concessions, compromise, uh, because right now the polarity is, um, is extreme. And the, the legislative blitz is, is, is really uh, shocking and beyond belief. So I, I think that uh, the sense, you know, uh, uh, of many people is that uh, the country has been uh, hijacked by, uh, uh, you know, by a group of extremely, uh, you know, nationalistic, religious and corrupt uh, uh, group of leaders who are misusing the majority to throw away all checks and balances and to make their own uh, removal uh, in the future uh, um, impossible. So it's exactly the same process uh, which uh, uh, happened in Hungary, which happened in Poland, uh, which happened in Turkey, in Russia. Leaders uh, get to the uh, to their positions democratically and then... Uh, um, uh, with a blitz of legislation and of measures are trying to change democracy into an, uh, uh, an undemocratic uh, regime. So they've already declared in the coalition agreements that they're going to uh, make changes which will basically not 
enable uh, uh, the Arab parties to run for parliament, which would mean that the Arab vote would be extremely low, and then uh, right, the right wing will continuously uh, win. We see that they have uh, very close ties with uh, um, Victor Orban. Brian here, jumping in post-recording. Um, just wanted to clarify, Victor Orban is the authoritarian prime minister of Hungary, the European Parliament has called his regime a, quote, systematic threat to the rule of law, end quote. Okay, jumping back to the interview. You know, with Viktor Orban, uh, who actually tweeted when he met with the head of the Tikva Fund, uh, which is an, an American fund, which is uh, fund, heavily funding American-style institutions like Kohelet, which is the policy institution for the uh, right-wing government. It's uh, purportedly behind the basic law judiciary, which is the basic law that they're going to change in order to, uh, in order to actually, uh, you know, make the Supreme Court ineffective. And, and all, all of these are actually moves that people are looking at and saying, is this even going to be a democracy? You know, once they're uh, once they, they they're done with it. So both the speed of uh, what they're doing, uh, without any proper uh, uh, consultation, without any proper in, even of like Yofi said of revealing the text, the actual text of the laws which they are supposedly uh, uh, wanting to uh, uh, to pass. So what's the rush? Why are they in such a hurry? Um, and when you read the coalition agreements, and when you think of Netanyahu's, uh, you know, uh, uh, charges, you understand why they're in such a rush. They're in a rush to uh, uh, to uh, implement all the religious nationalistic, uh, you know, legislation that they have been uh, that they've uh, committed to in their. Uh, coalition agreements. They're in a rush to uh, do whatever they can to uh, uh, get rid of uh, Netanyahu's uh, uh, trials. Uh, so uh, this is an extremely worrying time for Israelis, and so it's not it's not surprising that people are, uh, you know, uh, going out to the streets and doing other things which they are hoping will be effective. I don't foresee that that things will uh, die down. I think that the clash will only get uh, worse and worse. So I'm not optimistic, um, but I think that you know th there's no. If we give up now, then we actually give up for good. Uh, this is again, this is what happened in Turkey, in uh, Hungary, in Poland. This is what happens when a, a populist leader wants to take over. A regime and make sure that he he is immune from uh, you know from being uh, from losing elections ever again, um, and th this is what they're uh, this is what they're doing. I guess along those lines, folks folks abroad certainly certainly in 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 the United States. Um, I mean, where where by the way we've we've you know women's rights took took a big step backwards with the overturning of. of Roe v. Wade last year. Um, I guess that certainly Jews and other engaged with Israel who would be motivated and animated by by women's rights, by LGBTQ rights, um, and, and some of these issues. There's 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 been um 
sort of a growing disenchantment with 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 Israel and in certainly during night Netanyahu years. Sorry, I can't talk today. So I, I guess I'm just wondering, speaking speaking to folks abroad, you know, why should they be invested in in these issues that you're talking about today? And and is there anything they can they can do about it from from outside Israel? I totally get the frustration uh, of American uh, Jews who care about Israel. Uh, they have all the reasons in the world to be frustrated. Uh, as a, like me, I'm frustrated with the lingering uh, occupation over the Palestinians in the occupied territories and the kind of no end in sight on this issue. I'm frustrated like them with, with what's happening in the Western Wall, with difficulties of their Jewishness, their Jewish identity being recognized if they converted uh, through uh, the reform or the conservative movement, movement rather than the ultra-Orthodox. There are many, many reasons to be kind of uh, disenchanted by uh, Israel. Uh, having said that, this is the time where we need American uh, Jewish community more than ever uh, before. It's a life and death uh, moment for this country. I would also say something, I've lived many years in the US for my graduate school and after that for postdoc. And I am very familiar and respectful of this kind of dual identity uh, of, of American Jews who want to be both uh, um, faithful to, to Israel, you know, kind of outwardly as to not uh, ruin the funding for the Iron Dome, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, to, so to have the American government uh, keep its loyalty to Israel in the Security Council and with the uh, financial, uh, immense financial support and, you know, general friendship. But I think we're at a moment, and, and I'm, I'm going to say something that I know will be very inconvenient to many Jewish listeners. I think we're at a moment where uh, it's time to kind of uh, flip the, you know, the, the conception and understand that I think one of the only chances that Israel has to kind of curb the dangerous developments that we're facing is if the American government uh, uh, clarifies that it will remove its kind of dedicated, almost automatic uh, alliance with Israel. And I think that uh, if American Jews are reserved to go to their re political representatives and do that, the, the Israel that will remain won't be worth protecting. Again, I'm not a geopolitical uh, expert, but I feel like this is a moment to ask the U.S. to pay prices in itself. The U.S. government has a lot of investment, financial investment in in, in uh, Israel with armory, et cetera, et cetera. We know that. But I think this is a moment that uh, both America and American Jews uh, should be willing to change direction and change kind of what they've been doing for decades and uh, say uh, enough is enough. We care about Israel, but we care about Israel that is a democratic uh, uh, society, not a theocracy, not a, a semi 
totalitarian regime that is oppressive to anybody who is not a uh, uh, Jewish uh, straight uh, man. Um, that's not an Israel that's worth fighting for. I think so I think I think that the question should be divided into two. Uh, I mean, uh, there may be people, there may be Jews who say, you know, why should I even care about Israel at all? Uh, you know, which is which is one position saying, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm a Jew, but uh, I, I don't care about Israel. Um, you know, I can I can understand that, even though I think whether people like it or not, Israel is part of uh, has become part of Judaism. Uh, being Jewish is, uh, uh, we can say it's like a, it's a cross you have to bear. Uh, it has its good sides and its bad sides, and Israel is one of those. Uh, and depend, you know, it depends on how you see Israel. Whether you see it as good or bad, then it could be a good side of your cross and your which you're proud of, or it could be a bad side of your uh, cross which you're, uh, uh, you know, less uh, proud of. Um, and I think we are now, like uh, uh, Yofi said, we're at the point where if we don't fight, uh, then we're going to have, a, a, you know, a, a country which it will be, unfortunately, I have to say, it will be shameful for any Jew to be associated with. Uh, and, uh, and and since we cannot, you know, it's not something which, which we can disassociate ourselves from, uh, we should do whatever we can to to prevent this uh, uh, from happening. I wanted to ask, as as long as I've been following Israel, traveling traveling there, I've 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 heard sort of I don't know if it's a metaphor, but this idea of of, of the balancing act that this experiment was it was a balancing act between being being a Jewish state and being a democracy, being you know being a state for all its citizens and a state for Jews, and and that. That you know there was um, it would be difficult, it would be messy, but there was there was a way that that this could be more or less in, in balance. Are, are, have we, you know, is that balance gotten so off off kilter now that that it can't be righted? Do you still see a Jewish democracy holding both sets of values as a as a possible path? Um... I think this is a, a, an extremely difficult question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we as uh, uh, critical legal scholars have uh, said even in the past that this balancing act is not working well. Uh, so, uh, uh, for example, I, in my research, oh, uh, always defined Israel only as a semi-liberal uh, uh, country, definitely not a, a, you know, a fully liberal country, uh, which is hanging by the thread. Even this semi-liberalism has been hanging by the thread. I think... You know, if you, uh, as Zofi said, we're not uh, uh, geopolitical, uh, you know, experts, but the way I see it, what what is happening now is that the fact that we have been occupying the the occupied territories for 70 years uh, has now uh, actually, uh, we're paying the price because the uh, mindset of the occupation uh, has turned on Israel and occupied us. So the people who are now in government are actually people whose mindset is a mindset of an occupier. And they've occupied us inside Israel. So we are now, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Ishayao Leibovich has uh, foreseen as early as 1967, we, the occupiers, have been occupied by those who are, you know, the most extreme among us. You see Itamar Ben-Gvir, you see uh, um, Smotrich, you see those people who have the mentality of an occupier, 
Uh, and they came to government and they're saying, look, what do we have here? All these liberal leftists, women, you know, LGBTQ, we were, we're going to occupy them. We're going to do to them the same thing that we think we are entitled to do uh, in the occupied territories. Uh, and we're going to use their, uh, you know, their uh, uh, advanced knowledge, their technology, their high tech industry, their productiveness. Their progressiveness. We're going to use all those, you know, as uh, as resources to uh, uh, to cement the the occupation and to cement the uh, fundamentalist, nationalistic, corrupt regime, which we were holding in the occupied territories until now, and now we're going to implement in Israel as well. So yes, I I, I totally relate to that. Another way of of saying what Gila just said is that. The uh, practices that we as the Israeli public kind of gotten used to, okay, we are, you know, Gila and I resist the occupation, but uh, in Israel, it has become a kind of almost a non-issue for many of the young people in Israel. But the kind of human rights violation on an everyday basis, the uh, checkpoints, that which, you know, are based on a logic of segregation. The logic of segregation now migrates to uh, uh, proper uh, Israel. Privacy violations, tapping your phones, uh, profiling, many, many uh, practices that were uh, aimed against the uh, Palestinians in the territories are now applied uh, and will be even more severely applied mm. towards uh, citizens of Israel. And I think one final point that is important to stress here is that when we say a, a, a tension between a Jewish and democratic state, when we say that uh, this is a complicated, perhaps paradoxical formula that we have been trying to uh, make work. Uh, what we have now is not a tension between a Jew Judaism and democracy, because the coalition's version of Judaism is not Judaism, it's fundamentalism, it's zealous, reactionary fundamentalism, which uh, doesn't uh, remain faithful to the basic premises of, of what it means to be uh, Jewish. I'll give you one example. The government wants to give the rabbinical courts, which are courts that have authority over uh, family and divorce issues, uh, they want to give them the authority to to judge, you know, to rule over uh, civic issues. The, the rabbinical courts, when parties came to them to work on uh, labor issues, for example, on violations of you know minimum wages or all kinds of uh, mandatory conditions and protections of employees, the uh, rabbinical courts have been ruling against the very premise of uh, uh, of uh, Jewish law, which you know is famous for its uh, labor protections, its welfare protection, mm. its. Uh, and, and I can give you examples of that in any other uh, field. So this is not democracy versus Judaism. And usually they were ruling against the women who are the laborers, who are the low paid uh, with no social rights laborers. Exactly. And so, so, so uh, uh, 
this is this is not Judaism that I can relate to, you know, uh, in any serious way as as as, as Judaism. Uh, and I am of the kind. Maybe Gila will disagree with me on this point, but I do believe that there is a way to be uh, both uh, Jewish and faithful to the contemporary sensibilities of liberalism and human rights. It's definitely not the way of this government, and they're not making any effort to uh, find this balancing act. They're simply saying, you know, our vision is of a religious law, a religious law regime, uh, and that is unfortunately uh, where we're headed. It's going to have grave consequences on every Israeli, particularly on women, on LGBTQ plus people, and on Palestinians. Is there is there is there hope that things won't go this way? I mean, clearly you each must have some hope. Other otherwise, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be talking, you wouldn't be writing, you wouldn't be trying to change things. Or um, so there's always hope. Um, but I think we, there's no hope for Israel in general until we uh, uh, we solve uh, we resolve the Palestinian problem. Uh, like Yofi said, in the last few years, or even in the you know in the last uh, government before the, the uh, this current one, uh, it was as though you know the Palestinian uh, uh, issue has disappeared uh, from sight. Um, but, but, but there's there's no way of continuing uh, a normal life. Uh, I, I think if if anything happened with this new government is that it's become completely clear to anybody you know who who can analyze these things that there is no way of continuing any normal life uh, uh, without resolving this problem. That not resolving this problem has been a poison in our uh, society and uh, we have been, you know, cloaking ourselves with liberalism while at the same time uh, doing uh, uh, um, unimaginable, un- unimaginably illiberal things on the other side of the border, which we don't even recognize as a border anymore. Uh, and this just cannot go on. So I think. I mean, that's a whole other podcast, but but, but yes, it is solving but- <laughs> solving that. I mean, there has to be people, you know, partners to solve it with, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know how we can solve that, but I, I know clearly, Me and neither. I think, uh, no, and I, and I think, I think this is the, w- w- what this point in time has shown us clearly is that without resolving that, we cannot have a functioning uh, uh, Jewish and democratic state. There's uh, simply no way of doing that. And the plan of the new government is basically let's linger, let's buy time. There's no plan, uh, uh, not even a pretense of uh, planning the drawers when there is a partner. So if you ask me uh, what, you know, what is the prospect of Israel in terms of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, unfortunately now all I uh, see is uh, one state end to this uh, conflict, whether it will be with the, equal rights to the Palestinians, or it will be an uh, apartheid uh, uh, state officially. I don't know. I hope, you know, that we we do manage to resolve it somehow, in, you know, in the direction of a two-state solution. But what's 
important to realize right now is that uh, it's not on the agenda. They don't care about solving it. And all they care about is uh, uh, pretending as if uh, the, the, the present situation can linger forever. Uh, with your question about hope, yes, there's always hope. What I learned from years of activism is that even when um, the people in power pretend like they don't care what the people think, they care very much. And so uh, the best response to attempt to suppress uh, freedom of speech and of protest and of opinion is to speak, which is what we're doing. And we'll continue to do as long as we can. Thank you both so much. Not, not, not necessarily an easy message to to hear or pills to swallow but such such an important uh conversation uh i thank you both and uh, um and especially for for going for going a little bit extra time but it just it seemed the, the issue seemed so crucial thank you so much it's thank been you bye. okay bye thanks so much for listening to my interview with gila stopler and yofi tirosh so what did you think of today's episode we want to hear from you Evolve is about curating meaningful conversations, and that includes you. Send me your questions, comments, feedback, whatever you got. You can reach me at bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. And don't worry, we'll be back soon with a brand new episode. Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations, is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Walks. Our theme song, Ilofinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. This show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and I will see you next time. <laughs>